Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Complete Sports Media's podcast. I'm your host, Darren Campbell, and we're on the Complete Media Network. And we're really thrilled today. We have a special guest. Uh, we're very excited that could join us. Uh, we have Mark Curtin, a former professional hockey player, played 260 games in the NHL and 520 games in the AHL. Originally uh, drafted by the Toronto Maple Leafs, went on to the Detroit Red Wings and eventually came here to the West Coast and played with the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Mark had a, a great career and then went into real estate, uh, has spent over 30 years in the Oakville, Ontario area uh, selling real estate. And uh, yeah, we, uh, we were really excited uh, that Mark had an opportunity to join us. Uh, we're going to talk about many things about his life today, and we're really excited. Thanks so much for joining us, Mark. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, look, I look forward to it, and thanks for asking me. Well, uh, today's sort of a historic day here on the West Coast. Uh, it is the 10th anniversary of the Canucks uh, playing Game 7 against the Boston Bruins 2011. Uh, most of us know how that ended, and unfortunately... A little bit of a black mark on the city uh, as there was a bit of a riot, but uh, exciting uh, time for this city. The uh, fans got right behind the Canucks and, and watched them go all the way to the final. Uh, you came to the, to the Canucks uh, right after the year that they went to the final for the first time in 1982. And uh, that was very historic for this franchise, for the city. Uh, unfortunately ended the same way that 2011 did and uh, a little bit of problems after but uh, what was it like coming to Vancouver uh, on the heels of that success uh, of that playoff run that they went on yeah you know what I won't lie to you it was uh, um, I was thrilled to be traded uh, from Detroit uh, to a better team right uh, and of course Roger Nielsen was the coach there and we had a history as well uh, but then when I saw who I got traded for, uh, Ivan Boldarev, who was, was really an icon the year before, I think, in, in, in the Canucks run. Mm -hmm. So I, I knew there'd be a little bit of heat from that. Uh, but I think most of the fan base knew what uh, Roger was a, a big defensive type coach. And he's bringing in uh, a piece that he thought would help from that perspective. Uh, so there was a little bit of extra pressure, but I, I knew guys on the team. I mean, Stan Schmiel and I played against each other in the Memorial Cup and, and, and knew each other. That made it a little easier. And Doug Hallward from Peterborough. Uh, you know, so there were some guys I knew. Uh, and you know what? When I did land there, I did have a real strong finish, which was, was a really important. We lost to Calgary, I think, in the first round uh, in game four or five, uh, with Jamie McCowan getting the overtime goal. Oh, yeah. Um, but you know what? That particular playoff, I probably played the best I've ever played in the NHL. So mm -hmm. that was a good thing. And then uh, the following year and year after that, uh, as you know, uh, the team kind of got dissembled. Yeah. And, uh, and and then Bill LaForge came into coach, and, and yet he had a – so it was kind of a – uh, unraveling such as it was in Toronto when I was drafted there, we unraveled as well, thanks to Mr. Ballard. Right. But yeah, uh, yeah there was a little added pressure in Vancouver, but you know what? It, I really enjoyed my time there. 
You mentioned Roger Nielsen, and you, you guys have obviously a lot of history. Uh, I understand that you uh, were part of his hockey camp as a teenager. He drafted you into Peterborough, drafted you actually into the NHL with the Leafs, and, and then you played for him here. Uh, how much did uh, Captain Video mean to you in your career? Well, Captain Video, I first met him probably when I was uh, going into my junior B year uh, before I was drafted to Peterborough. Uh, my father uh, suggested I, if I want to be on the ice all summer, I should write all the hockey schools and see if anybody would, would uh, respond and, and, uh, and hire me as a gopher or tie skates or whatever. Right. And uh, sure enough, uh, the only one that responded out of six was Roger. And, uh, you know, Roger had been in Peterborough for years. So he came out and met my parents. And uh, next thing you know, I'm living at his cottage north of Peterborough wow. uh, and running or not running his hockey school, but being a gopher there uh, for six weeks. So I did that a couple summers before I even got drafted by Peterborough. Awesome. And, and, and it's kind of interesting, Darren, but when you, uh, they call it the Peterborough Mafia because everybody from Coley Campbell, uh, you know, in, in league management, there's a whole kinds of Peterborough Pete's all over the place. Yeah. And uh, uh, it was, uh, it was uh, a, a fabulous, fabulous time, but lots of guys did that. Like Chris King, for example, who played in the NHL, he was a gopher when I was the pro. Oh, okay. uh, so it, it just kind of rippled down. But uh, yeah, it was very uh, instrumental in, in my development. And, and I was one of the lucky ones because I got to, to know Roger away from the rink, nice. which was pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, Greg Millen was a part of that as well, who played in the NHL and, and hockey in Canada. So yeah. it was, uh, that's how I, I met Roger. And then uh, you know, as all coaches in the NHL, they have players they like, right? And they tend to pull them around, around the league as they go around the league. So yeah. uh, uh, we actually named our oldest son after Roger. Uh, Taylor Nielsen Curtin. That's yeah. how much he meant to us. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's always just amazing, great stories about Roger. Everybody in the hockey community seems to love him. He has more friends than, uh, you know, most people are ever going to have. And uh, yeah, he was so instrumental. Obviously, there's a statue outside the arena here, the yeah. big famous uh, towel waving incident yeah. here in Vancouver. Uh, Holds a lot of uh, memories for people, and and uh, it's great that you uh, you know you you took such a good suggestion from your father uh, to uh, write these yeah. camps, and uh, it's amazing that um, he took the time to say sure and come meet your family, uh, uh, yeah. give you a place to stay, uh, all that kind of thing. That's incredible. Well, and and the fact that he he probably like even when he drafted me to Toronto. Um, you know, Quenville, I think was second round and I was third. They didn't have a first round pick, but there's lots of pressure there too, sure. you know, uh, bringing in one of your own guys. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so he was never afraid of doing that, but, uh, but you know, I, it, it, with Roger, you could, you could have a show 24 hours long with two or three people that knew Roger and it'd be a hundred stories. Yeah. And, and, uh, I, I think the only year that I recall, Roger really being having a tough year was my first year in Peterborough because we hardly won. I think we won 10 games. Wow. We weren't, we weren't very good. And then Roger went on to pro after that, but that one year we would go and get beat by eight or 10 goals a night sometimes. Amazing. And, and I remember telling a story yesterday 
up in Sault Ste. Marie. Uh, they were a loaded team and we went in there and we kind of knew that we were going to be in tough. And uh, every time Sault Ste. Marie would score, because they were called the Greyhounds, this Greyhound uh, way up in the, in the top of the, of the arena would start on this chain and, and it would make howling noises <laughs> as it moved along the chain. Okay. So, so Roger uh, had the wherewithal to send Dick Todd, who at the time was our trainer, up to the top and put a padlock on it. So they scored in the first two minutes and this greyhound started chugging along about two feet and it stopped. And, and the Sault Ste. Marie bench was laughing. We were laughing. Nice. Roger just had this grin, like just a smirk on his face and, uh, and, and on we went, but there was hundreds and hundreds of stories of, uh, of funny things that Roger did and, and rule changes and on and on. That's great. Yeah. Fantastic. I've heard so many good uh, Roger Nielsen stories. Oh, uh, you, sure. mentioned, you mentioned Peterborough and uh, when he left, Gary Green ended up taking over and yeah. you guys started rising to prominence, winning lots. You ended up making the Memorial Cup and uh, ended up playing the new Westminster Bruins who are, you know, quite famous around here, obviously yeah. from Punch McLean, Stan Smeal and, and the boys. Uh, tell me about that experience and getting to go to the Memorial Cup. Yeah, we had a real good team that year. And, uh, um, but you can see, you know, each year we progressed in junior. But the last year, um, you know, we, we went into the Memorial Cup feeling pretty confident because we just gone through two tough teams in Ottawa and Hamilton nice. uh, with Bobby Smith in Ottawa and Secord and those guys in uh, Hamilton. And they went to do, we went the distance seven and eight games with those guys. So we got through and then uh, the round robin set up uh, in Sault Ste. Marie Sudbury where it was held that year. Um, we beat New West twice and, uh, and, went in, and went into the final and lost. And of course, Steamer had to show me that when I got traded. I think he had it on the screen in the dressing room sure. showing me the Memorial Cup final, which was, they beat us quite handedly. I forget the score, but by three or four goals. So, but you know, Steamer and I both made the all-star team uh, for the tournament and, uh, and it was, it was a great tournament, but you know, when you think back, you know, you only get so many opportunities, right? And yeah, you, you know, I lost the Memorial cup. I lost the Calder cup in the American league when we had a loaded team. Um, but it is what it is. At least we got there. Right. Well, you were a top scorer from Peterborough in the playoffs that year. You had, 12 goals, 14 assists for 26 points. So very instrumental on helping that team get where it went to. Uh, Keith Acton was your leading scorer through the regular season, but I understand he had some type of shoulder injury yeah. that uh, hampered him a little bit going into those last few games. Yeah, you're exactly right. We did run into some problems. Keith Acton probably shouldn't have played the last game because he's got one arm. Um, but yeah, he, he, was, uh, he was out. And um, uh, we had another guy, Howie Meeker's nephew, Mike Meeker. Okay. He was unbelievable, that guy. He was a great player. Nice. And uh, uh, he was hurt. He had a separated shoulder and he played. Wow. Um, and, and so, yeah, that hurt us a little bit for sure. Two key guys like that. But you know what? When you're in a game seven or a final, um, you know, anything can happen. I mean, look what happened to the Leafs in Montreal, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I said it numerous times that when they didn't win game five and six, I knew they were done because who's, who wants to face Carey Price in a game seven? Yeah, it was right. Tough. So, but at the end of the day, it was uh, 
uh, yeah, we did have a great team, and a lot of guys got drafted. And uh, and then Greener, I think, went on. Yeah, he went on to coach in Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that you know that team's still tight today. We still talk all the time. That's amazing. I heard you said that Jeff Brubaker uh, trade <laughs> deadline deal was one of the most instrumental moves that were made there to uh, help that team go all the way. Yeah, I remember uh, we were at Maple Leaf Gardens, and I, I, that might have been the last year I think that uh, the Marlies played at the at Maple Leaf Gardens. But I remember sitting in the dressing room. We'd heard rumors about Gary Green bringing this guy in because I we weren't sure we were tough enough to get through Hamilton because they were always tough, and, and playing in this little barn it was tough. And uh, so we'd heard rumors that that Gary Green had this guy from Michigan State. But we didn't really know much about him. And uh, um, and then sure enough, in they walked into the room. I'll, I, I'll never forget. It was like yesterday. And Keith Acton and I are, and Crowder are sitting beside each other. And in comes this guy, and he looked like a mountain. <laughs> he came in, and he had this big kind of furry coat. And he looked like that guy, Buford Pusser from Walking Tall. Oh, uh, wow. That movie okay. from years ago. Sure. And he walked in. And we, and I just smiled and I looked at Acton and I said, this is amazing. <laughs> and I said, I hope he's on my wing. And so, so he went around and shook everybody's hand. And then that day he fought about three guys and, uh, and he was my winger. I had Keith Crowder and him all the way through. Wow. And uh, boy, what a, that was a, I think that was instrumental in getting us over the top, to be honest with you. It's amazing. Yeah. And, and Peterborough ended up uh, being able to, you know, have a lot of success once you left there. Did you guys feel super proud of the, uh, you know, generation that you had, you know, rose, risen that franchise up to and, and passed it on, passed the torch on to the next year? Yeah, guy? absolutely. I mean, that team the next year uh, that won it, remember they had about eight or 10 guys from, uh, from the team I was on. And, uh, they have get-togethers all the time because that's the only year Peter Rose ever won the cup. Wow. And so whenever they have a get-together, they always reach out to me Great. and uh, say, you know what? You weren't part of the team, but you know all the guys and uh, and everybody's pretty tight. So I go to all their functions. So oh, wow. I guess they felt sorry for me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it must have been heartbreaking to lose that, but uh, to just make it there, it's a super amazing accomplishment. Uh, and obviously a lot of attention gets put on the team. You mentioned a lot of guys got drafted. You got drafted by the, the Leafs. And uh, tell me about that day. How did it feel to hear your name called, uh, to know uh, that you were you know, going to your team? Uh, on, you know, you've been following them, obviously, living in Ontario as a young boy, uh, get drafted by your hometown team. It's pretty oh, yeah. You know, it was thrilling. It, it, it's just that back in 1978, they uh, – uh, obviously you're at home, right? right? And there's no broadcast or anything like that. So I just remember sitting in the, like I knew I had a chance to get drafted, but um, you know, and you hear rumors of two or three teams and stuff, but I didn't think I'd be very high um, as a draft. Cause I wasn't a big guy. I was 172 pounds, and, you know, and uh, back then it was pretty crazy, you know, for in, in the league. Right. Um, but I remember, yeah, I got drafted. Uh, Jim Gregory, the GM, phoned me. That's how I found out about it. And you know what? I was just out in the front lawn with a couple of buddies. I didn't really, um, obviously, we celebrated that night. But um, 
you know, when I think back, someone asked me if I was nervous or anything because I'm a, I was my, kind of my hometown and all that, and I wasn't at all. Nice. I don't know why, but maybe I kind of brainwashed myself that uh, that summer because I had a gym set up in my garage, and I trained like crazy. Like I probably trained four hours a day, wow. five hours a day, and uh, yeah. and then skated for a couple months because I didn't want to let Roger down. And so I went real hard and uh, I was in phenomenal shape going into uh, camp, which, which really helped. Yeah. But, but the team was an older team and it was a very good team. They were probably only two or three pieces away from challenging for the cup because nobody was going to beat the Canadians back then. They were that good. Um, so I, I thought I was going into a good situation. And then I knew the first year I spent in Moncton, with the New Brunswick Hawks, which was an older team again, but they were owned, half owned by Chicago as well. And so we had a great team there. So I knew I would get there eventually. And when I did, then Harold dismantled it. Yeah. So, you know, and that's what happens sometimes, just bad timing. Did you get to, to talk to Harold? Uh, what, what, was, what was he like? Did, uh, did, did the players ever get an opportunity to, to talk to him much? Um. Some of the players did, like Tiger had a Tiger had a good relationship with him and, and Daryl and Lanny. Um, but then other guys he didn't even talk to, hmm. like like you know Turnbull and well, Salming, I guess he did a little bit. Uh, as far as the draft picks go, no, he he nod at us and that was about it. Okay, because uh, I don't think Q Quinville is probably the same as me. Uh, not a lot said, but the only time we really saw Harold was for the team picture. You know when he would come out and be very flamboyant, but uh, no, the older guys have stories about Harold, but he didn't uh, spend a lot of time with us. Well, it's uh, yeah, it's too bad that he dismantled that team because yeah, I hear so many oh, yeah. things about uh, you know the possibility of that team going very very far, and uh, it's yeah, it's just disheartening to know that um, you know the, the Leafs had great teams and you know to you know to get disassembled like that. Uh, that's. Uh, I, I'd love to play a clip of your first NHL game here. I have a nice little clip uh, set up, and uh, let's take. That's a look. the one where I s snapped it with my eyes closed. Number four. It's funny, eh? Yeah, that's really amazing. Yeah, very funny. Yeah, yeah. they um yeah, you know what? And that was first shift, first shot, right? <laughs> that's uh, yeah. I mean, to start your career that yeah. way, uh, you know, you you must have just felt uh, on top of the world. Uh, do you remember oh, yeah. that game? Do you remember everything about? Um, uh, you know what? I, I, oh, I certainly remember the play. Um, I don't remember the lead up to the game uh, that much, but uh, but I did have some exhibition games, right? under my belt and uh, which, which was helpful for sure. And the fact that you're playing on a veteran team like that makes it pretty, pretty good as well. I mean, I think my very first game was in uh, Boston 
exhibition game against the Bruins. And uh, uh, they had a real tough team. And uh, with O'Reilly and Jonathan and Wenzik and all these guys. And, and Toronto was tough too. Yeah. And so I remember sitting there in the first few minutes and watching uh, Lanny and uh, Wenzik blowing kisses at each other. And I thought, oh, this is, this is not going to be good. And, and, and to back it up, a, a funny story, Darren, I remember in warm-up that first game, uh, my skate blade got loose on my right skate. And uh, so I had to get to the dressing room to get a new blade put on. And I went to the dressing room, sat down, and I realized I was in the wrong room. I was in the Bruin room. Wow. And so what happened, you see, at the old Boston Garden, it was a very small rink. And, uh, um, and, and it's hard to tell, like, and it had a short blue line to blue line. So, you know, so many big bodies all over the place. And I, I was sort of panicking because I had to get this blade thing. So I, I got off and I'm sitting there and the Boston trainer comes in and he goes, son, you're on the wrong side. <laughs> so I got up and just as I was leaving, warm up ended and the Bruins were coming in and I was going, can you imagine? <laughs> if I just sat there and all those guys started coming in. Oh, the only guy I knew a little bit was Stan Jonathan from, from Peter Rowe, but I thought, oh my gosh. So anyways, that was quite a nerve wracking uh, opening game. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, did you uh, get a chance to play with, uh, you know, some of the top guys? Uh, who did they have for, for a roommate? Who did they give you for line mates? Yeah, no, it was good. In Toronto, I had uh, Pat Boutin and Jerry Butler most of the time. Okay. We're checking sort of grinder guys. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I room the one, the one roommate that I remember two roommates, actually one was Daryl Sittler. Wow. Uh, I had him as a roommate in Vancouver the day that Terry Fox died. Oh, wow. So that's how I remember that so well, because Daryl left uh, to go and see Terry at the end and then came back and told me before it hit the press. Right. So I do remember that. Amazing. And then I remember in Chicago, uh, Dan Maloney, uh, after the team meeting, we went up to the room and I went to turn the TV on because I wanted to watch the soaps like we all did in hockey. Okay. So I, I turn on the soaps already to watch all my children. And within like two seconds, he's behind me and turns it off. And he goes over to the window and pulls the blinds down. He says, kid, we're going to sleep. I said, all right, whatever. Okay. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, yeah, listen to the veteran. Oh, yeah, especially him. <laughs> yeah, wow. Gosh. But it was fun. It was fun. Uh, uh, that Those moments and then my other big moments would have been when I got traded to Detroit and we came back to Toronto and we beat them two or three times. And I think I had a couple of game winners and a couple of wow. stars. And that was, a pre that was a highlight in the career as well. Uh, so you went to Detroit. You, you mentioned earlier uh, the team struggled. Uh, what does it feel like uh, going to a franchise that's you know really really having the, their struggles? Uh, what was uh, well, yeah, how did it feel? There's, there's two ways to look at it. One, when you go to a struggling team, you think you might get more ice time, you might get more opportunity. Mm -hmm. uh, the problem is when you're a third or fourth liner and you're on a struggling team, uh, those are the guys that tend to get moved out in the shuffle. I see. And and the reality is. You know, most times, and you'll hear it said a lot, is you're only as good as your core, right? Sure. Your core are going to win you the games or lose you the games most of the time. But, um, you know, so I found myself in the shuffle all the time. And what's frustrating is, you know, you go down to the American League and you get 60, 70, 80 points. 
and you're on the power play and everything, you're the captain, then you go up to the NHL and you're kind of pigeonholed as a checker. checker. Yeah. So the only time I got some more ice was Detroit that year. And I was on everything, power play, penalty killing, because they came in and uh, in one practice, I'll never forget it. They called Peter Mahovlich, Dennis Polonich, um, Jules Bear, uh, Earl Thompson, and someone else to center ice and sent them all to the minors. Can you imagine? Wow. So we got back to the dressing room and after everybody showered, Dale McCourt and I were sitting beside each other. And I said, chief, let's add up how many games those guys have played in total. And it was like, like it was like 2,500 games or more all sat down in one swoop. Whoa. And chief says, the positive is you're going to get a lot more ice time. He says, <laughs> which is true. Oh, great. So, yeah. You know, but then again, if your team's not winning, they're going to move, uh, move things around and, and that's the way it goes, right? It's all yeah. timing a lot of time, right? You came to Vancouver. Uh, we mentioned it earlier, but um, I remember you on a line with Tiger Williams and Ron DeLorme, and that seemed like a second line uh, quite often. Uh, you, you referred to yourself many times to this as a checker, uh, but uh, you, you had an opportunity here, and uh, I yeah. thought you guys did great together. Uh, it was a fun yeah. line to watch. We did, and... Uh, that was that first year I got traded there when we played Calgary. And you know you're going well when two things happen. Uh, one is the coach is putting you out every other shift because he recognizes that you're going good. And the other is, and this is hard to explain unless you're, you've been there, but uh, sometimes, especially in the playoffs, um, you get in a zone, right? Mm -hmm. and, and the zone you're in uh, – it just allows you to just make natural moves that you ordinarily wouldn't be able to make if you were thinking about it, if that makes any sense. Sure. It just all comes so natural that you're in a zone and, and you're, you're playing way above your head. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened there in that, in that, uh, in that playoff. And uh, Roger was putting a steamers line out and then us right after it, it was, we got a ton of ice time. Sure it is, so, yeah. But yeah. I, but it was a surprise to me because I hadn't played in the NHL playoffs and Tiger told me, he says, be ready. Cause he says, it's going to speed up five, 10 times faster. And I'm going like, how can it be that much faster? And then Riseboro must've whacked me about six times in the first shift. And I thought, you know what, this is moving quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, it's, it's amazing. Uh, the difference between regular season and playoffs. Oh yeah. Uh, it's just completely serious. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How much did you like living here on the West Coast? Uh, how, did, how did you like the city of Vancouver? Oh, it was, yeah, I loved it there. I mean, I, I, um, I rented a house off of, uh, uh, I remember his name, he used to play for the uh, BC Lions. His name was Rick Goltz. Okay. And uh, I think he went on to uh, Stampede Wrestling after and called himself the Prairie something or other. Wow. But I rented his house in uh, Burnaby. Uh, and it was a great setup, but uh, I never realized how beautiful Vancouver was until we were out on a boat um, and it, you could see the snow on the mountains. Uh, we were, there was a stove on this, uh, on this boat. So we were, we must've been, I, would it be crab or lobster? We were bringing something up and putting them in the pot and enjoying it and having a beer. And I thought, you know what? doesn't get any better than this this is beautiful nice 
So I, I, you know, but then when I got traded there, it rained for the first 10 days that missed. Right. And I said, Oh, this is what they mean by, uh, you know, when it gets rainy, yeah. but I, overall, I love my time in Vancouver. And, uh, um, but you know what, in this business, it, it, there's always change and there's not many people that spend their whole career with one team like Stan. Sure. You know? Yeah. Uh, what does a third liner make back in the early eighties? Uh, what, what was your oh, top salary? Do you yeah, I'll go, I'll go better than that. Harold, I, when I was a second pick for Toronto, I got $5,000 to sign. Wow. Okay? okay. So what did I do? I did what every player does instead of going out and, and buying a, a cottage that, you know, might make money down the line. I had to go out and buy a Corvette like everybody else, <laughs> and which fell apart after, you know. Actually, I left it on the Detroit freeway one, and that was the end of that when the, when it, uh, the, the belly fell out of it. And it didn't take long for people to come and take those parts. So, um, you know, and back then I remember getting a three-way contract, if you can imagine. Wow. It was 42000 in Toronto, uh, thirteen in the American League, I'm nine in the international league. Okay. Can you imagine? And someone told me the other day that, you know, you get, you had uh, uh, 19 goals or something in 50 games, which is about a, almost a 30 goal year, mm -hmm. which puts you at about a $4 million player today. Wow. If you can play the 200 foot game, if you can play both ends. Sure. Um, but you know what, at the end of the day, it, it is what it is. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I can also say I should have started selling real estate earlier too. Yes. <laughs> in Oakville, it's the richest area per capita. So Canada. Right. So, well, you must've prided yourself on playing that 200 foot game. Uh, I, I guess, you know, you, that makes you very valuable. It doesn't put you on the highlight reel every night on yeah. court center, but yeah. uh, you know, it does probably make you very valuable to the coaches. Obviously, you know, you, you were valuable to Roger Nielsen. And you also had a really good long AHL career. A lot of guys must have loved having you on the team because you're playing that 200 foot game. Well, it, it, I think I think it's longevity. I, I'm actually almost more proud of surviving that long in the American League um, because we think it was rough and physical in the NHL. You should have seen what it was like down there. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I I keep here forever on stories of uh, some of those arenas. You know, going in and playing the Philadelphia uh, Broad Street Bullies, their farm team, where they just didn't have four guys. They had 16 guys, you know, and they go walking by your dressing room going, kill, kill, kill. We have someone like out of slap shot. Wow. And, and I remember Daryl Sutter and I looking at each other. He was my winger. And, and Sudsy says, do you really want to go out there? I said, not really. <laughs> but what choice do we have, right? <laughs> so it was pretty crazy in those leagues. So that's a long time to survive in that league. I uh, absolutely. I remember hearing a bit of a story between Eddie Johnson, who was your coach, fighting Pat Quinn uh, yeah. at Center Ice. Uh, tell that little story briefly. Yeah, you know what? That was uh, my first. Um, let me think here. That would be my very first two or three games in pro. Like that schedule maker should be shot because he booked three games in a row. Wow. Like New Brunswick Hawks was the very first team in the Maritimes, right? Pro team. And uh, it was owned by Chicago. So they'd send 10 guys and we'd have 10 from Toronto. So we were always going to be a pretty good team. 
Um, so we played against the Maine Mariners Flyers farm team first three games of the year, wow. two in Moncton, then one in, in Portland. So the first game, there was uh, about three different bench brawls, but they were all on the ice and, and, and they all ended, what have you. The second game, we had a bench brawl because Rocky Sagnick decided to, to uh, challenge their bench <laughs> and, and on jumped uh, John Paddock and away it went. And it, the guy I ended up with was a guy named Frank Bathe, who was this big red beard and six foot two. And he was going around swinging at guys and I couldn't hold him. So I threw him in a pile where all the guys were against the, the, the bench or against the boards. And Eddie Johnson reached over our coach and grabbed Bathe and Pat Quinn saw that. So he came around and grabbed EJ and they rolled on the pile and landed on the ice with their, their suits on. They, as a matter of fact, they both had pinstripe suits <laughs> and they were throwing them like boom, 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 boom and slipping around and they were almost on the button at center ice. And so we, I had Linsman at that point and Kenny and I are looking going, you believe everybody stopped to watch it. Sure, yeah. And, and, and so both of them got thrown out. And the next thing you know, uh, Ken Linsman is in our dressing room swinging a stick around in our room. It was, you know, and then we had to go and play in Portland and Murray Bannerman was our goalie. And we said to Banner, you know what? Don't be causing any problems here because we're short guys. Cause we, uh, three guys got the flu and warm up decided they didn't want to play. <laughs> so we're short and Banner causes another ball. And they actually walked us right off the ice with five minutes to go in the first and, and chalked it on to the start of the second. Wow. It, it was, it was, uh, Darren, I don't even know how to describe what it was like down there other than the fact that, thank goodness, I was in phenomenal shape, nice. shape because I, yeah. I could survive from that perspective, but it was nuts. It was yeah. nuts. Uh, does New Brunswick feel like a bit of a second home? Uh, you spent so much time there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely, it does. Um, with Moncton, two years in Moncton, two and a half in Freddie. Um, absolutely. And I, you know what? I can tell you with all honesty that the salt of the earth people down there, sure. you know, right through the whole Maritimes. I mean, they would invite us over for dinners and, and uh, um, it, you know, just, just great people. And I still have friends today that are there. Absolutely. Yeah, it was a good experience. People say, well, yeah, we played in the Central Hockey League where it was sunny all the time and we flew. And I said, yeah, but, you know, we have the people. Or, you know the, the salt of the earth people and and yeah we bust but uh yeah, I, I wouldn't have traded that for anything i have another clip i want to play uh you've been talking about tough hockey uh this is a little bit of a skirmish uh you had uh, when you're in detroit against montreal and uh, oh. it yeah. ends up being a really good move on your part uh you ended up trading gila point for uh, yourself and and uh, yeah, this is a, a kind of a fun clip to check out. Back in 1981. I don't know what Guy was so upset about. All I did was bump, bump one of his players. Yeah, he got really upset, didn't he? Yeah. Okay, here we go. I got to go back a second here because yeah. they're showing you coming up to the... Oh, maybe they'll show it in a second. Yeah, maybe on a replay. 
Yeah, I think you uh, hit Keith Acton at center. I did. I just bumped him a bit. Not very hard. Yeah, it was a love tap, Darren. <laughs> you you played with Keith, so uh, you know. I think something happened the shift before, and I I just kind of gave him a little bump, yeah. and Gee came out of nowhere. But that's okay. Yeah. Well, it's a, it was a good trade because uh, he ended up getting picked out. Except look at the ref. I mean, and that, that's the problem back then, too. Not that I was any kind of a fighter. But at the end of the day, when the refs tie your arms up and are lying on top of you, Not what are you supposed to do? <laughs> I think I might shave my mustache again. <laughs> Chirping at each other quite a bit. Oh, I know, I know, I know. Were you good at that part of the game? Well, you just kind of, you kind of get good at it after a while. Just whether you're fighting or you're not fighting, and there's a lot of chirping that goes on on the bench, right? Yeah. But there's a lot more today from what I hear. Guys are pretty sharp today. Well, here it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah that wasn't much. No. That's pretty crazy. Look at Guy in there. Even the flowers in there. Yeah, Guy Lafleur, yeah. Surprising he wouldn't get involved in that very often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a funny clip. I haven't seen that one in years. <laughs> that's nice. Yeah, that's a good yeah, it's kind of fun to find that and, and think, oh, yeah, I'd love to play that for you. Because uh, Yeah, 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 that's ho good. Hockey back yeah. then was just such a different thing than it is now. Uh, do you like how NHL has evolved? Uh, do, you, do you miss that physical aspect that was there? You know what? Not really. I think the game had to change. And, and uh, I, think, I think what really uh, stood out that uh, the game had to be changed was there was a couple of years there where the hooking and holding mm -hmm. was oh. going on oh, and man. the hitting of the hands. And uh, I remember towards the end of my career, when you're going down on a one-on-one -on -one with a defenseman, um, you almost had to kind of bat his stick away uh, before you even tried to make a move on him because he would just get his stick between your legs or on your hands or something, and then you got someone behind you that's uh, outweighs you by 50 pounds hooking you. So it was difficult to play, and, and they recognized that. They changed the rules, and, and, and the reality is the game is way better today. The players are better, they're faster, they can shoot harder, um, you know, uh, and, and games can still get kind of out of hand, and, and there's hard-hitting games and stuff, so we're not missing a time. The bench brawls we met, that's what you know, it doesn't happen anymore, but that's okay. That's okay. Think of people can watch video on those. Yeah. So you did mention the, the Leafs briefly, uh, another heartbreak for Southern Ontario and all the Leafs nation across. Uh, I understand that you still bleed blue and white. Uh, yeah. You're a pretty dedicated fan still for that organization. Sure am. Yeah. It was a tough one to watch. Tell you, it took a few days to get over it. Uh, and I talked to a few other guys, uh, you know, Vive and those guys, and everybody was kind of stinging from it, Wendell. Um, but you know what? It's, uh, I'll tell you, I, I, got a, I got a text a few days ago um, from Paul Woods, who was my old winger. He, he's actually done the color for Detroit for, what, the last 35 years, right? Radio color. 
Yeah. And uh, he brought up a good point. He said, take a look at the New York Islanders, right? They've got one player, or they actually don't have a player in the top 30 of scoring. Wow. Okay. Barzell's mm -hmm. close mm -hmm. and he's their best player, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And let's compare them to Toronto. Like if you take a look at how many series the Islanders have been involved in in the last five years, there's ton, like, I, I can't remember what the number is. I think he, what do he say, seven or eight? I can't remember. Mm -hmm. and, and Toronto's hasn't won a series, right? And, mm -hmm. and look at our core versus theirs. You see what I, where I'm going with this? Yeah, they have four lines that right. are heavy, mm -hmm. solid, and play the same. Almost like the style that Peterborough plays all the time. Four lines, four lines. And they balance the, the lineup. And look how far the Islanders are. They beat Tampa Bay the other night. So yeah. um, that's an interesting comparison. So the question is, where does Toronto go from here? Um, I wouldn't want to be making those decisions because, uh, you know, Montreal got as far as they did, mainly because of price and their four horses on defense. But I'm not sure which direction Toronto goes at this point. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it must be hard for a guy like Dubas to know how to assemble oh, a yeah. team. Uh, so many teams that have had uh, Stanley Cup success over the last, uh, let's say, 15 years had those two top superstars and then, you know, had a little bit of a core and then, you know, built the pieces around it. Uh, he's got four guys that he pays a lot of money to yeah. and then, you know, filters down and, you know, you're hard to fill in those last few lines. So, um, yeah, I, I do see what you're saying. Uh, I, the Islanders are a team that, um, you know, has had that type of success, uh, having the four lines. Same, same with Vegas. When they came in, they were able yeah. to have those four lines and just keep rolling them at teams. And, and well, here's, one, here's, here's the thing to think about, Darren. What about Komarov for the Islanders, mm -hmm. who played in Toronto for years? He's, he's playing with Barzell, number one line. Yeah. But he can't play in Toronto? But he can't play in Toronto. See? Right. So... Yeah. I, I think, and then let's look at who the GM is of the Islanders too. Yeah. Lou Lamorello. Yeah. He's, and then they've got a coach yeah. that won the cup with Washington, which I was actually there for that game. Were you? you can believe it. I, I flew to Vegas um, um, after my wife gave me a pass. I flew to Vegas and Coley Campbell and Chris King, knowing my situation, set me all up for the pass. I sat in the box with, uh, uh, who's the safety guy? George um, Paris. Oh, yeah, Paris. Paris. Yeah, yeah. I sat with him and and Willie O'Ree. Wow. And uh, watched the cup being handed to uh, to Ovechkin. Amazing. It was pretty cool. Yeah, well, pretty I'm cool. glad you were there for that. That's great. Yeah. Thank you to the wife and. and yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it was great. I, I mean, it was a uh, it was a fabulous. Uh, where I was going with that is uh, the coach of Washington is now coaching the Islanders, mm. so there's some magic there. Yeah, yeah, he's a good Barry, coach. Barry Trotz is a fantastic coach. Absolutely. There's been a lot of talk about Barzell here because he's a Coquitlam born boy. Uh, oh, yeah, I didn't in, know that. He's raised in the Burnaby uh, oh. hockey system. So, yeah, yeah, local kid from here. So, wow, he's a good player. Yeah, he sure is. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We'll see if the Leafs can figure it out. Uh, you know, they, they seem to try and everybody talks about them so much, but they just can't seem to win that series ever. I know. I know. Yeah. It's They'll get there one day. Yeah. 
Okay, well, we've talked uh, tons about your hockey career. Uh, it's been really fun. I bet you we could just sit down and talk for hours and days on end about it and all the amazing people that you've met. Uh, how happy are you that you're part of the NHL alumni? You've got three organizations that you're part of. I hear so many amazing things about the Canucks alumni and all the great things they do. Uh, how, how, how happy are you that you're part yeah. of those Groups. Yeah, I, I, yeah, you know what, the Canucks one I just joined about a year ago, okay. uh, and I'm also with the Toronto Maple Leafs alumni, which is much, much bigger, sure. um, and, and I think that uh, the Vancouver alumni are kind of looking at Toronto as a prototype, right. because they, um, they're, they're, I mean, they're doing so many good things, you know, for charity and, and what have you, and helping out the guys that need help yeah. uh, and stuff. Um, and uh, Vancouver is, is just kind of in, in the stage right now. They're trying to get more and more players involved. But, yes, I do see clips, and I'm on their, their Zooms when the meetings uh, come on. And uh, um, it's, it's fun to be a part, and it's fun to see old teammates on it, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned charity there. Uh, one of the reasons we had you on today is try to raise awareness for a very important charity uh, ALS uh, has really devastated a lot of families. Uh, it has impacted mine. Um, my grandmother was diagnosed with ALS. It was um, really tough on her uh, on the entire family. Uh, it, this, um, this has uh, been a charity that's near and dear to my heart. I've helped out. I've been able to raise funds, and I'm very proud of that. Uh, you were um, you were starting to feel something wrong going on with your body in about in 2015, I understand, and uh, it took uh, three years for you to finally get a diagnosis. Uh, but you were diagnosed with ALS, I guess, in 2018, and uh, you you're really trying to raise awareness, trying to raise funds, trying to uh, yeah. Uh, get behind this cause so um, you know we can try to eradicate this disease which uh, is really really tough on on many many people especially uh, families that go through it no you're right and uh, yeah it's been a, it's been a struggle at times but um, you know back in 2015 when my symptoms started um, I went through a lot of testing for two or three years and uh, was finally diagnosed in 2018 with ALS and yeah, the world crashed for sure. Uh, it was a tough one, to, tough pill to swallow when you're looking forward to, you know, retiring from work and, and the kids are older and you can start to travel. All those things kind of get pushed aside, uh, which is difficult. Um, and then telling the kids was hard. Um, thank goodness they were older. A lot of my, uh, I call them pals that have this, um, have young kids. That's a whole different ballgame, too. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I just decided that as humbling and, and shocking as it was, that I've got to face it. So I face it with three rules. I face it with a strong faith, uh, a strong family, and, and huge support from friends and, and the sports world. So if you've got all three of those things uh, on your side, it, you can get through day to day a lot easier. And I promised myself that I would try not to have any down days because if I'm down, everybody else is down. And uh, uh, with the family, uh, as much as the impact is on me, uh, it's on them too, right? And so 
yeah. you know, because they're the extension of me. Whenever I can't do something, they're right there to do it, like almost on call. Sure. So I, I'm so proud of them for for uh, for being there for me for sure. Um, as far as as uh, um, treatments go, there really isn't a cure. Uh, there's a two to five year lifeline on average, but hey, there's people that go 10, 15 years too. And uh, Darren, honestly, I'd rather be in that category to be honest with you. Yeah. So it it's uh, I'm on a couple treatments. I've been on them for two and a half years, uh, and I'm looking forward to trying new stuff, which is coming down the pipe, and uh, hopefully it will slow the progression. Uh, with COVID hitting the world uh, just over a year ago now, uh, people getting vaccinations so quickly, uh, does this give you hope that maybe FDA approval will happen for drugs a lot sooner? Uh, we haven't seen vaccines get this quick approval ever in the history of man. Uh, do you think this bodes well for drugs uh, that could help you? You know, I, I do. Um, because you're right, COVID in two or three weeks, they've got the vaccines going uh, through approval. But just so you know, um, the one treatment I'm on, it took two years to approve. By the time it went through uh, FDA in the States, and then it went through uh, Health Canada, and then provincial, uh, matter of fact, some of the provinces still haven't approved it. So like over two years is not right when you've got a short uh, lifeline. And uh, so, you know, right now there's about 160 drug companies around the world that are in the ALS space and about 80 trials going on. And some of them are going into phase two and three. Uh, and so lots of positive stuff. Uh, but, but I just want to be clear that the, the type of ALS I have is what's called sporadic. And that's like 95% have this. Okay. Uh, there's a five percentile that have... A genetic, which is what Chris Snow has for assistant GM at Calgary. Okay. And there is a breakthrough in the, in the genetic one. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's on a drug, uh, Tofferson, that's, uh, that's really helping him. Wow. But there's no breakthrough in ours yet. Mm -hmm. So having said that, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a frustrating thing because it's almost like the forgotten illness. Mm -hmm. And uh, 80 years since Lou Gehrig died, and uh, we've had some real fearless leaders that have created huge momentum and then they die. Wow. And then it's a restart. So there's been way too many restarts with this illness. And it's time that, uh, that since Lou Gehrig Day uh, put it on the map, it's time now that, uh, that uh, the government's gotta be aware that we need research money. We need faster pathways to get these drugs into us. Um, and we need awareness. Yeah. So Well, the awareness is uh, st starting in a lot of ways. That ice bucket challenge was really huge. Uh, that seemed to really put it on the front burner. And, uh, you know, a lot of money was raised uh, for that. Uh, how happy were you to see how much success that one had? That was huge success. Um, now, that was a few years ago where it, where it really took off. But guess what? Those two guys are gone. Yeah. It started that. So the case in point of what I was saying. Sure. And now I've, I've seen some video on, uh, on um, uh, Wallach from IMALS in the U.S. who has a huge group uh, advocacy. Well, you know, last video, it didn't look great. No. So he's starting to hurt. So that's my whole, that's the issue with this, right? Mm -hmm. 
we have to move quick and faster. So I'm a member of two groups, ALS Canada and ALS Action Canada. And ALS Action Canada has a lot of ALS patients in Vancouver, actually, in BC. Okay. And uh, it's a patient-led group. So it, it's a strong voice group. And we've been doing lots of presentations over the last couple of weeks to the government, okay. the Liberals and the Conservatives, to try and make have a breakthrough. And then ALS Canada is kind of the, uh, the big kid on the block. Nice. So um, I've managed to raise, I think, about 75000 in the last three and a half weeks for ALS Canada. Right. And now I've switched to uh, Sunnybrook in Toronto, their ALS research, because they have a couple exciting trials. Okay. And so that's where I'm trying to funnel the next two weeks uh, fundraising into Sunnybrook. Uh, you mentioned Lou Gehrig. Uh, June 2nd uh, was ALS Day in Major League Baseball. Um, I, I, I hear that you've identified many former athletes that have contracted uh, uh, this, uh, this disease. Uh, a lot of these um, other leagues, uh, are you guys petitioning to try to get uh, the recognition from the rest of the uh, sporting world? Yeah, it's actually on my, uh, my to-do list to reach out to the guys that uh, were behind getting MLB to uh, um, uh, come to the plate for, for the June 2nd uh, awareness. Because uh, arguably, that's probably the biggest day ever for ALS. Nice. And uh, it's fine to have ALS month of June, but unless you have a big event, um, I mean, we do have a big event the end of June, the walk, but to be on the map through all 30 teams in, the, in MLB is huge. Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping these two guys will turn around and I'll nudge them and they can move towards NFL nice. because NFL has got like I, I made a list of 50 guys like in a couple hours, wow. you know, and the most recent guy was a Chicago Bears warrior on defense in the 80s, Steve McMichael. Yeah. If you ever want to see a powerful video, watch that one on the YouTube. Yeah, I mean, there's a guy Mon that was just Mongo. a warrior. Yeah. I, I remember yeah. Mongo a lot uh, from those yeah. Bears, uh, 85 uh, Bears championship. Well, team. I have a look at him now because he's, wow. you know, he's it's really attacked him. Wow. And, uh, you know, uh, it's really humbled him. Hmm. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a strong video. But at the end of the day, um, I think the NFL has to look at it. And if they do, um, along with MLB, We'll, we'll never have an awareness problem again. Yeah. Why do you so, think so many athletes uh, end up getting this? Well, we say that, and I've been asked that before. And, and you know, yeah, have I been concussed? Yeah, for sure. I remember uh, I got concussed in Chicago one night. And uh, I remember trying to get up, and I fell down again, trying to get up, fell down again. Hmm. And uh, I remember Tiger saying, stay down, stay down. Um uh, but I woke up in the dressing room and I was on the ice for practice the next day. Uh, and it happened all the time. So then the question becomes, is, is there a correlation? And, and I truly believe that, um, that there's no question concussions are a risk factor. Okay. But, but you know what, Darren, everybody, there's lots of people that didn't order an athlete that also got ALS, right? Sure. And, and I'm not counting them uh, when I was doing the list. So I, I think it's something that the researchers are looking into as they get additional funds. They're seeing, they want to see if there is a correlation from an elite athlete. Yeah. And, and so I think the, 
the, the book's out on that. We don't know for sure yet. What do you, what is the one thing that you want people to know about ALS? Well, I think now, like before I got it, I didn't know the difference between MS, Parkinson's or ALS, to be honest with you. I do remember seeing video of Lou Gehrig being wheeled onto for his speech and all that stuff, just as a kid watching that, but I still didn't know what it was. Uh, but now I honestly think there's so many more people that know what it is even though their lives haven't been touched by it. Sure. Like your life has been touched by it, so you kind of know. But I think, I think people now know, and, and I think when they see a petition going around uh, or they see a fundraiser, they're more apt to get behind it and say, you know what, ALS has not been treated fairly, and so now it's time to back them. You know, and, and, and with COVID and, uh, and HIV for that matter too, yeah. um, you know, they found solutions for that. So let's make ALS kind of a, a priority as a rare disease and see where it goes. So we're pushing pretty hard at the government level and hoping for the best. Yeah. But I just want people to get loud when they, when they see this. Yeah, let's get loud for sure. Yeah, it's, um, it's tough for, or for families. Obviously, it's tough for the individuals like yourself. But, uh, you know, great guys like you put on a brave face and and, you know, charge forward every day. Uh, you know, the, uh, the families are the ones that, you know, have to end up taking yeah. the ball and, you know, they go through a lot of the, the tough times. I just said that, you know, I, I don't want people to change around me because I'm not changing around them. Right. So I, I, it's not a pity party and I don't want people to feel sorry for me. I've only had a few people that are get kind of broke up over this, but you know what? That weren't family. But I just tell them, I say, guys, Nothing's going to change. Like I'm, if you don't chirp me, I, I'm chirping you anyways. So at the end of the day, you know what? They just don't want to change. And you just, um, you know, as far as a financial standpoint goes, uh, someone told me it's about 200 grand from beginning to end with this. I said, there's no way. Do you know what? It, it is. Because yeah. you got to renovate stuff. You need equipment for every different phase to transfer. Like my legs are fried now. So I'm in a, a new... I call it my Ironside Raymond Burr machine here. I see. And you know what? But, I, you know, it's it's 25 grand this thing. Wow. But the government, and that's the only thing the government uh, covers a little bit of. Mm. They cover half of it. But at the end of the day, you got to, there, there, it does cost that much. And uh, uh, it's a drain on, on, on everybody. And, and you just got to, you got to stay ahead of the curve, I guess is what I'm trying to say with it. Yeah. So. Are the drugs seeming to work? Are they helping you? It's hard to say. We debate this all the time because when I started the Adaravone, which is the Japanese drug, the big one, um, you know, I, I'm on my 29th month. Okay. Right? Okay. So just over two years. Now, when I started taking it, I had pretty strong legs still. And now I don't have any legs. So, you know, I know my wife says to me, you know, I wonder what it would have been like if you didn't take it at all. Mm. Maybe your body's just slow moving with this disease. And then I say, well, if I stop taking it, it might be in my front, right? right? Breathing, swallowing, all other stuff. Yeah. So if it ain't broke, I, I think I'm going to, obviously I'm going to stay with it sure. because the longer I can keep it out of my front, the better off I'm going to be. Yeah. So yeah. it's a really tough one, Darren, to say that, um, it's really working or it's not. 
but there is one coming down the pipe called AMX that just went for approval with Health Canada. Okay. And uh, that's why we're pushing pretty hard for a quicker access. Uh, so if it gets through, I'll just put it in my cocktail with the rest of the stuff here and hopefully it'll, it'll help as well, right? Yeah. So. Uh, when you meet someone that uh, just gets the diagnosis, uh, what do you tell them? What do you say? Well, you know, it's funny you should say that because I have actually three calls I have to make to people. Um, because, I, because I'm ahead of a lot of people that are just diagnosed, they have no clue uh, from an equipment standpoint or accessory standpoint of what to get, where to turn, they're reeling, right? Yeah. Like one guy called me from back in grade seven. I kind of remembered his name because we were on the same relay team, but I called him up and he said, look, he says, I saw you on Hockey Night in Canada when Ron McLean held your shirt up. And he said, I wanted to reach out because I got diagnosed last week and I'm scared to death. I don't know what to do. Wow. So, you know, you try and, you try and uh, uh, prop those guys up yeah. and give them some guidance. And uh, uh, I remember Roger doing the same thing when he had cancer. He had a two-page list of names. And I said, what's that? And he said, uh, why, these are all people I need to call to, to prop them up, give them some positive and all that kind of stuff. Wow. So I think it's my place to do two things, use my platform uh, where I can, and second of all, uh, help others that are going through the same, same problem. Sure. Uh, my, my Twitter campaign, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but it's, uh, it's been phenomenal. Um, I, I got 25 former NHLers, Hall of Famers, coaches, they all sent videos, yeah. uh, 45 seconds to just over a minute. And I've been, I put out two a day uh, for a couple of weeks uh, leading up to Lou Gehrig. And I've got about another five or six to release this week wow. or Sunday. And then I'm going to group them all together on a stick or however I do it and have somebody edit it all so they all mesh together. Nice. And uh, put a strong note together and go after the government with it. Wow. That's sort of my plan. Love to help you with that. Uh, I do editing all the time. If so. you do editing, you could be a huge help. Yeah, love to help. Somehow you. they need to be stitched in a way that you take a little bit from each one. It's a bit, and they're all different. Uh, different. Uh, let's call them scripts that these guys are saying. But you know, I'm gonna. If you haven't seen the videos, um, I will send you a note that actually you can go on my Twitter profile, and there's about 23 of them on there. Uh, I understand. I think it's Kurt Speaks ALS. Is that? Uh, it's at, at Kurt Speaks ALS. Yes. Kurt's with an S. That's right. Okay. Kurt's and if you go on it and click on profile and you scroll way down, you'll start to see all the videos with mine being the first one, which I'm actually rubbing in to these, some of these guys like Ron McLean, Don Cherry, all the Leaf captains, uh, Shannon, a whole bunch of guys. And uh, I just got Jamie Campbell and Adam Graves and, wow. and uh, a few guys, but um, it, it tells me how many views they have in the lower corner. Okay. So I think Ron McLean's probably got the most of all those guys wow. at about 25,000, but I'm sitting at 51,000. So I'm rubbing the, like I had a two minute or <laughs> wow. so it's kind of funny. That's funny. Yeah. Twitter's a new thing for yes. you. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. promising the world, but I would love to help. Uh, I I recently you know started this a year ago. 
Uh, so I'm new to a lot of the social media aspects, a lot of these editing things, but I edit quite frequently and uh, I would love sure. to help. I'm, I've been very happy to see you spreading the awareness of this. It's nice to have somebody that's came to Vancouver, touched a lot of lives here, helped the local team. Uh, yeah, just a guy that's, um, yeah, going through this and, and seeing, you know, so you, you going out there and talking to so many people trying to help. It's been uh, very, very inspiring. Well, you know what? I really appreciate you reaching out to me for sure. It's not every day that I get interviewed by Aaron Rodgers. I can tell you that right now. Wow. So, and you look like him. <laughs> so I would like to know what team you're going to. <laughs> I can't, can't divulge that quite yet. <laughs> okay. I know you're getting married. That's okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Anyway, it's yeah. funny. That is funny. Uh, one, one thing I wanted to touch on uh, just before we go is that uh, COVID has forced the real estate industry into mostly online viewing. Uh, I guess that kind of came at a good time for you. Uh, oh, huge. Landed right on my lap. Because, it, yeah, you're, if, you, if you look back, everybody really didn't know what the future was going to be. Um, what really surprised me, though, is the real estate market got stronger. Yeah. If you can imagine, that doesn't even make any sense because, mm -hmm. you know, everybody was afraid to show their house and, and what have you. So once, once it got to the stage where people were comfortable wearing masks and gloves and the process and strategy was set up properly, um, people started seeing houses. And mm -hmm. what happened was, um, for my case, I would say to people, and don't forget, I've been in this 30 years, so I know a lot of the properties in Oval, pretty well all of them. So people would say, well, Mark, we want you to list the house. Come on over and have a look at it. That's the normal process. Yeah. Well, now I just say, listen, here's some weed transfer instructions. Take pictures of every room, send it to me. I already know the model and everything, and I can figure out the pricing. We'll do a Zoom presentation nice. and uh, go over all the details. And right. you know what? Everybody was fine with that. Excellent. Only one person pressed me a little bit. And uh, I finally said to him, yeah, I've got ALS. I've had it for all symptoms for six years, I guess, ago. And I said, we're still doing the same amount of business we've always done. Right. And he stopped me right there. And he said, that's fine. He says, I, I'm glad we did the Zoom. I see you're normal. And, uh, and so I beat three other agents out on the listing. Great. So you see, it, it's nice. people are amazing when you're behind the eight ball. Like I remember when I couldn't squeeze the gas pump, right? Yeah. My both my hands were done. My my uh, golf club wouldn't stay in my hand very well, and uh, and I remember golfing with Boudreaux, Gabby Boudreaux. Yeah. He wouldn't give me any strokes, even though my right hand, I had to almost tape it to my club, <laughs> and he wouldn't give me strokes. <laughs> so, but I remember the gas station. I was out of gas. And I kind of cruised into the pump and uh, rolled into it. And then I got out and I'm going, oh, it was cold and I'm trying to squeeze the gas pump and I just didn't have the strength. I, I looked up and within about 10 seconds, three guys there, three people from wherever. Jumping, help we can do that, sir. We can do that. No problem. And they, they didn't even ask. They just right. grabbed the thing and did it. Great. So, you know, people for the most will step up. Yeah. In any situation. Well, I'm, I'm glad to know that um, you're up. I heard you were a little apprehensive on 
uh, telling uh, you know your customers and clients uh, that yep. you contracted ALS because you thought it might affect the business. But I'm really happy to hear that it hasn't, and and you know you're yep. you're still going great guns and and making lots of money for your legacy and you know on and on and on and 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 I'm I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I'm going to help as much as I can help here. I'm glad to be able to spread awareness. I'm glad to be able to just talk hockey with you, though. That was uh, my re- really big, exciting uh, part of this is be able to just bring in and, and talk about your NHL career, your HL career. Uh, yeah. Hockey is, uh, you know, such a, a great uh, provider of bringing people together and, and really uh, making more families. And, uh, you know, this is um, nice to, you know, be able to uh, help as much as I can help and see you tell your story to people. Um, it is very inspiring and, and really great to, to have you as a guest. Well, listen, I, like I said, I can't thank you enough for, for uh, inviting me and every op- I've never turned down an opportunity because it's a chance to, to spread the word on it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I don't have any issues at all. Um, uh, in, in closing, I, I will say a funny little story. I, I got interviewed in Peterborough a um, couple of years ago, maybe a little longer, and uh, uh, Peterborough Examiner newspaper, because we were there for our 78 team reunion. Oh, wow. And, uh, and Gary Green said, this guy wants to talk to you out there. Are you okay with it? And I said, yeah. He said, he's going to ask you some ALS questions. I had no problem. So I, I went out there and I talked to him for an hour. Wow. And, but I'm thinking, this is how naive I was in social media. I, I'm thinking, okay, well, it's a little paper, not a big deal. So, and I hadn't come out with it anywhere. I was hiding everything. I see. And uh, so sure enough, I, I'm driving home the next day with Keith Crowder. My phone is like lighting up like a Christmas tree, but I'm not answering anything because we're having laughs and what have you. Yeah. So I get home and I walk in and my wife says to me, so, uh, uh, and she's quite techy. She says, so when did you decide you were going to release uh, that you got ALS? I said, I didn't, I haven't. She said, well, it's all over the place. I'm getting calls too. and It's on Facebook. And I said, all I did was like a quick 45 minute interview with a Peterborough paper. And she just shook her head <laughs> because it was everywhere. It just out of that little paper. Wow. So yeah. at that point I said, there's a reason why that happened. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I decided, okay, screw it. Let's just let it out of the bag and, Away we go. And so that's why I did this Twitter thing and joined these uh, groups. And in the winter, I want to do a, uh, I want to do a virtual concert. And I'm going to try and get, uh, if I don't get Jim Cuddy through Ron McLean, he's a hockey fanatic. I'm going to get somebody to to play out of their studio. And every couple songs, we'll have a voice promo, even if we play these ones over again, because they're good ones. Oh, you know, man. just to raise money for uh, virtually. That's exciting. Uh, huge That's fan. Of, plan. Huge fan of Jim Cuddy and Blue Rodeo, and uh, yeah, that yeah, me too. Fantastic. Uh, uh, you, you, there is a virtual event on the twentieth. You just briefly uh, talked about it, but just um, yeah, tell people about. Yeah, that it's, it's really the first one that I've actually been a part of because I, I really didn't know much about it until this year, but uh, normally it's a walk. And, and now it's virtually uh, there is. So what people do is it starts at 10 a.m. And they um, uh, there's a whole bunch of, of ALS teams and mine's team Kurtz. And, uh, and then you raise money the whole month of June leading up to that. 
Um, uh, and, and so it starts at 10 a.m. virtually. And then at two o'clock, then you go out and do your thing with your family, your friends, take pictures, video, and then you post them and come back at uh, two or three o'clock and they have a concert and all this kind of stuff. Mm. So this will be my first year of seeing this. Um, I know that uh, uh, it's, it's the big fundraiser of the year. Okay. So uh, uh, like I said, I'm doing pretty well with ALS. I just gotta get going on the Sunnybrook link. Um, but in the end, uh, I, I think they're gonna have a pretty successful month of June considering uh, it's not virtual, right. right? Yeah. So, but that's what's coming up. And then uh, um, we'll see, uh, we'll tally it all up. The, the funny thing is I, tomorrow I go to my golf, my old golf course and I'm sitting on the, on the uh, par three up at Greystone. And uh, I've got 150 t-shirts um, with help Kurtz and ALS, which I'm going to hand to each one of them. And we'll have a gimmick on the par three. And I'm sure when they get home with the shirt, they'll be guilted into getting on their computer <laughs> and donating. Nice. But it'll be fun to chirp the guys and see the guys again that I played with every Wednesday, every summer. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to tomorrow. I, I'm so happy that um, you, you vowed not to change. And uh, you, 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 talk, you said chirp so many times through this hour. Uh, you know, I, I think that's one of your favorite aspects of getting together with the boys and, and the people and i'm glad i'm glad that you still get that opportunity get to have uh, some time with the guys and and feel you know like you know you're just normal it's everything's been great uh, you know it's just like hanging out with the guys as i always have yeah absolutely and like i said to you it's not every day you get air interviewed by aaron Rodgers. <laughs> i haven't heard that uh, that i look oh, like oh yeah him, take, but, uh, take a good look Okay, right on. I get someone else to look at both. You're, you're a big Packers fan, I guess. Oh, big twice I got on right now. Yeah, I know. I can see that. And, and not because of that. It just happened to be that. Funny. It just happened to, I happen to think you look like him a little bit. Wow, that's great. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Well, this is, uh, this was amazing. What a great time I had. Uh, thanks so great. much. Uh, have fun tomorrow. Uh, enjoy that uh, June the 20th, the rest of this month. Uh, yeah, congratulations on, on, on the fundraising goals meeting. And I'm sure it's just going to just keep steamrolling from here. And uh, I look forward to helping. I would really love to do that editing. Uh, we'll, we'll communicate about it and how you'd like it to, to go. And um, yeah, I'll do my best to help you out. That's great. No, thanks very much for volunteering that. And uh is it nice in Vancouver right now? Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Nice day. It's a nice day here too. Yeah, it's very right, man. humid here. Unusually humid this past week. Uh, so oh, yeah. Yeah. Kind of feels like Ontario with uh, your, yeah. your humidity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, my man. Okay. That was All great. Best. Enjoyed it. Yeah, we'll take care of yourself. Okay, we'll, 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 we'll talk by email. Sounds yeah. good. Okay. Thanks, Darren. Take right. care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Wow, that was uh, really great. Uh, I was really excited and spent a lot of time researching and getting ready for, for Mark. Um, I remember him back in the, the early 80s. Uh, and um, yeah, uh, tough that he's going through ALS and, and uh, such a, a, th a hard thing for families to go through, but uh, he's fighting it uh, like a warrior, like he always uh, has been his whole entire life. 
Uh, it's so tough to make the NHL people, uh, especially back in the days that he did. He talked about how, uh, you know, it was, it was a war almost every time you went on the ice. Uh, small guy, five foot 10, 170 pounds, uh, but um, he had tons of skill and uh, had people like Roger Nielsen helping him get there. And um, yeah, uh, a great guy, uh, super fun to talk to. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, it was really fantastic. I want to talk to about our partners and sponsors briefly before we close the show. Uh, just bear with me for a second and we'll pull up our website and our sponsors page. Uh, Anchor has been a great partner and sponsor from Complete Sports Media. They've been great at posting on multiple podcast platforms. Go to anchor.fm and they call themselves the easiest place to make a podcast. So uh, thank you, Anchor. Verbero, the hockey equipment and apparel company, industry leader in technology, performance, and value. Uh, Pampas and Possibilities, they design and sell dried florals, do floral arrangements and installations. And finally, Forever Living, the aloe vera company. They grow and manufacture aloe vera based products for health and beauty. Uh, you can just go to our website, as you see here, click on one of these boxes, and it'll take you to the site. You can purchase products from these companies, and uh, we have some discounted rates when uh, you do so. So, uh, yeah, thanks again to Mark Curtin. I appreciate uh, the time. Thank you to his family, giving them up for an hour, and thank you to all his clients. I'm really happy to hear that the real estate business is actually uh, going better than it was before the pandemic. And um, yeah, I, I look forward to uh, talking a lot more about Mark in the, in the future. I hope you can get on some of these causes. ALS is a, a really um, a really tough thing to go through for people and we need to find a cure. And we need to find these, get these drugs in, in the guys so that they, uh, and the women that uh, suffer through it so they can, uh, delay these symptoms and uh, you know, you know, stop it all together, hopefully soon with a cure. Uh, anyway, thank you for your time as always. Um, go to completemedianetwork.com. Uh, tons of stuff going on there. As always, completesportsmedia.com. Uh, we've got so many podcasts set up this week. We've got another one with Olivier Philpin today, uh, talking about some of the Euro Cup and uh, Tanner Bozer tomorrow. Uh, the USC heavyweight fighter, excited to have him back as a guest. So uh, thanks again. Take care of yourself. Love you lots. Bye for now.